So you wanna watch a movie, but you don't know which. Choosing the one can be a bitch. But Jared and Drew have perfected the art. So sit back, relax, and trust the dark. It's dark. What's going on, everyone? I'm Drew. And I'm Jared. And welcome to Dartboard Movie Night, the podcast where we put 20 movies on a board, throw a dart at it, and let the fates decide. This week, we get to wallow in the meaninglessness of existence and confront the inevitability of death (laughs) as we cover what Akira Kurosawa calls his greatest achievement as a filmmaker. This week, we are talking Akiru, our second Kurosawa on the show, and the second one starring Takashi Shimura. I'm going to say it right out of the gates here, Jared. We fucked up by not putting this guy on our big dogs lists. You think so? This performance so. alongside the Seven Samurai one just is just ticking him up for you? I mean, it's, it's yeah, it's big dog category. I mean, the dude is just like, he's he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is a special performance for sure. But just based on how you introduce this movie, we might have different interpretations of this film. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, I guess we'll see. Um, I think it's pretty clear what this movie is is about, but I'm interested to hear your interpretation. Um, But before we get into it, let's do a quick little board review here, shall we? Love it. At number one, we've got The Brothers Bloom, number two, Akiru, number three, Zed, number four, Rio Bravo, number five, Alien 3, number six, Anomalisa, number seven, Amadeus, number eight, Election, number nine, Get Carter, number 10, The Limey, number 11, Coraline, number 12, Big Night, number 13, Dirty Dancing, number 14, Straight Time, number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, number 16, Secrets and Lies, number 17, Seven Days in May, number 18, Snatch, number 19, Strange Days, and number 20, Altered States. Altered States. I keep looking at altered states on there and being like, man, I really hope we hit that soon just because I'm, I'm excited for a little sci-fi uh, weirdness from the 80s. Oh, dude, I am so jazzed about that flick, too. Can't wait to hit it. I know nothing about it other than like little little sprinkles of information here and there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you, dude. But this week, it's 1952's Ikiru. So let's, uh, what, what do you say we get into it there, Jared? Dude, I'm ready. I'm ready. 1952's Akiru. Got a couple of good options here, Drew. Currently available on Criterion Channel, if you have that streaming service. Canopy with a K, Drew's favorite, free with a library card. I have no excuse for not having it yet, but it seems like a great option. And you then, have a perfect excuse. It's the fact that it's you. Well, that is a pretty good excuse. But also, as you know, <laughs> pretty much every movie for this show I rent from Videodrome because I love supporting that place and I love renting movies from there. So um, I always have it lined up that way. But Canopy is still Jared, a good the, ki- the king of putting off doing what's good for him. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I mean, library card, I don't know where it is. I don't want to go down that whole road. But anyway, in addition <laughs> to Canopy, a little bit more of a kind of well-known one is HBO Max, too. So if you have access to HBO, that's an option as well. Absolutely. Well, we should probably get into the movie here. And the typical initial question we start with is, how did this get on the board? Mm-hmm. But we don't have the person on the show today that that put this on the board, who is Graham Waldrop. Uh Graham came on for our Ex Machina episode a long time ago. It's So this has been sitting here for a bit now. And he put this on, and I, I maybe we'll just like clip out the segment of that episode where he say, says why he put That's this on idea. the board. Yeah. Um, and that will go right here. Yeah, I thought about this yesterday. Uh, it's a movie called Ikiru, which translates to To Live 
by uh, directed by Akira Kurosawa. Uh, one of the movies he's made that you probably haven't heard about, unfortunately. I know I had it. Um, and basically, it's about a uh, it's like the struggle of a terminally ill Tokyo like government bureaucrat and his final quest for meaning. So it's a really fascinating, meditative portrayal of of life, um, government bullshit. And just the sort of disintegration of the the family unit, which was a problem in Japan at the time. So it's a great movie. It's very unlike a lot of other Kurosawa films. Um, definitely think you guys would get a lot from it. It's a really excellent film. So there you have it. That's that's why it went on the board. I, I think ultimately, like it was a, it was a phenomenal choice of his in terms of giving us something a little bit off the beaten path. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a huge movie in the history of, of cinema. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is like a, a hidden gem or something, but it's definitely like one that I maybe needed a little nudge to go watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for me, it was kind of quintessential, great guest choice. You know, if I'm reading it right, I think we only have one guest choice remaining, which is Snatch on the list after Akira's Well, we haven't had a guest in a long time, but yeah, that's right. I've got some people lined up for movies, uh, but we just haven't hit them. It's we- it's kind of weird, uh, but I- I- we're kind of due for a guesty one. I'd like to have a guest on soon. Um, but it is kind of, we get these uh, good ideas of movies that you and I would not have picked. I mean, perhaps you would have chosen Akiru one day, but... I am not a huge Kurosawa guy. I don't have anything against it. It's just a super famous. Well, the only one you've seen is Seven Samurai, right? Yeah, and it was only for this show because, and I probably touched on it in that episode, but to me, there's something a little intimidating about a Kurosawa film where it's like, he is one of the greats and it's like, he has a reputation or in my mind anyway, I don't even know if it's true of making these kind of long, in you know intense movies that are really important like building blocks for where film is now um so for those reasons i've been kind of lazy and really going for uh kurosawa films but but it was a great choice from graham and even looking at snatch from mike o'donnell which was like his his guest choice that's a fun choice that we wouldn't have thought of and opened up a whole new kind of subcategory on the board for us so i do love when we get these friend of the show recommendations because they definitely take us in interesting directions and even reflections of evil as much as we both struggled if not outright hated that film it was a really interesting challenge that steven had kind of posed to us yeah no i mean and that's a great example because it's like i I, the best kind of um well i don't want to say the best kind because i mean obviously (laughs) snatch is not new territory for Mm -hmm. us but um but you know it's really nice when a guest puts something on that you and I probably wouldn't have yeah. picked otherwise mm-hmm. um, in any in any circumstance. Like we wouldn't have picked Snatch, but no it's, it's fun that it's on there now, and it opened us up to that. So completely, yeah, um, no, hundred percent. And you know, even going back to our first guest episode, the the only bullseye we've ever hit, which is uh, when Eric Williams came on, our our music guru, and uh, he he put us uh, onto Vivarium. Which was a really fun little watch. I mean, it's not you know, it's not by any means the best movie we've ever covered on the show, but I think we both had a blast talking yeah. through that movie. We both really enjoyed the experience of watching it, and it was a movie that I had never heard of. So yeah, we were, all of the guests have if, at the very least given us interesting choices. Nobody has mm-hmm. failed us, and I expect that to continue because we'll get these fun ones that we wouldn't have considered. But getting back into Akiru here, this is your second Kurosawa. 
I want to ask you off the, off the bat here, was this what you expected it to be or was it something totally different? I'd say it was about what I expected it to be because of the premise that Graham had said when he pitched it. And he had kind of, if my memory is right, and it'll be right in the episode, but I can't remember exactly now. My memory is that he said it was like kind of anti-Kurosawa or like anti-Kurosawa in terms of my expectations of what a Kurosawa film Well, or be. just people's expectations yeah. in general. I think people just attach Kurosawa to action and to, to samurai movies. Yes, and I think um, he had kind of briefed me to some degree about it. This is a lot more personal. This is not about seven dudes on a mission, seven samurai, big cast type of thing. This is a this is a much smaller movie, and I believe Graham had mentioned that that this is like not what you would expect from Kurosawa. So I knew it was going to be different than Seven Samurai, and I had a little clue that it was going to be on the heavier side because this past Friday we had a movie night at my apartment. We had friends over and stuff, and we were deciding what to watch, and we decided to do a fun little variant on the dartboard which is you get a group of friends together and you put six movies on a list and you roll a six-sided die, which is pretty fun. And mm-hmm. um, so we had like a dice roll movie night at my place and Akiru was one of the ones on the list. And Graham Dice was, roll movie night coming to Patreon. Yeah. 2024. <laughs> not a bad idea. Um, maybe that's where we do like an in-person big record or something. But um, <laughs> um, so I mentioned to Graham because he was one of the people coming over to watch the movie. I was like, oh, we might do a Kiru because I have to watch it before Sunday anyway. And he was like, okay, I'll just say it's not really a hangout movie. Like, I really want to see it again. <laughs> like, uh, and, and like, it's not really like, I could tell he was kind of saying like, I don't think it should be the selection for tonight. Not not a fun hang. Yeah, not a hangout movie at all. We were talking in like a chin wag the other week about what a bad like wine movie is or like, you know, the certain movies that you can throw on with people. I wouldn't say this is a bad wine movie, but it's definitely not a throw on with people over at the house type of film. No, I think it's actually a great wine movie yeah, because if yeah. you're a little bit in your cups on this one, you're going to have a real emotional reaction yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I have, I have one sober too. I'm sure we'll get to it. But um, So thankfully, the die spoke, not the dart, but the die, and led us to Aliens with an S, which we'll surely talk about when we get to Alien 3. Mm. Um, and just to give a little more context of what else was on this list beside Akiru, it was like behind enemy lines and like uh, – to live and die in LA and like things like that, like very good, like hangout movies. And then Akira. Did you just, just define out. this entire list? Did anyone get any input in this? Yeah. So, uh, someone did, um, I did two, I did to live and die in LA. I guess I did three and then everyone else got one. Cause it was like kind of also post my birthday. So I was kind of running the show, so to speak. Mm. And, um, I forget what some of the others were, but they're all like fun choices. You know what I mean? And then Akira sure. was just ha- lingering there. of just being like, Oh boy, I hope we don't hit two on the die. Uh, but anyway, all that is to say, Graham had given me these clues that it was going to be on the heavy side and it was going to be smaller in terms of scope. Uh, but in some ways it's bigger in terms of life and death and, and, and views on that than, than even Seven Samurai gets. But you know what I mean when I say smaller. Like it's a, it's a, it's a more contained story. So it was about what I was expecting, but there's still tons of surprises. The vibe was about was what I thought I might get, you know, when I was going into it. Were you surprised? Did you know a lot about this movie before firing it up? No, I, I mean, I, I knew that it was not a samurai movie. I knew that it was, it was, you know, set in 
at the time modern day Japan and that it was not um not a period piece it you know was was you know more of a human drama in that way so I I knew going in that it was going to be different in that sense I definitely did not know anything about the content of the movie and and the general setup of it so that was all surprising to me and in a really great way to be clear um but yeah no I I kind of I think it 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 even though my expectations were to be subverted it still subverted the subversion mm-hmm. if that makes sense yes um, it does in a, in a good way mm-hmm. well let's get into our thoughts on it you said out of the gates that you think uh, we may have different interpretations based on my intro and I'm interested to see what your interpretation of this is what did you think of Akiru and what did you think the general push of the movie is like what it, what is it about in terms of what I thought of this movie in terms of my reaction to it I loved it. What a great, great movie. Great pick, Graham. Thank you for a spectacular choice. It was extremely emotional, heavy, burdened, dark, really gets you thinking about your own mortality and your own life. Obviously, that is the subject matter of this film is is someone being almost like self-diagnosing in a way that he has six months to live because the doctors don't tell him the truth for some reason. Um, and just living with that kind of knowledge and, and how that plays out in the wake of that, that again, sort of self-diagnosis. And it's just, it's just a stunning, stunning movie. I will say there are some nitpicks that I could make in terms of my reaction to certain things and we'll get there in due time, but I, I don't want to distract from the headline, which was like, this was a very moving and emotional and really spectacular movie and and really, really powerful. It was special as I'm kind of really starting to vocalize it now. I'm realizing how, uh, how it really gets in there. It's in my opinion, there's, there's no question. It's already the front runner for best picture at the Unas whenever we get to our next batch, like in terms of this batch, it's, it's easily the best thing we've covered in this, this round of 50. This movie's fucking tremendous. And it, you know, it just in terms of like, it's, it's, it's so funny to me that you put this on that dice roll because the idea of watching this with other people and having that as a group experience is horrifying to me. <laughs> it's also such a movie about isolation, you know, and it's such a movie about being alone to, to some degree, um, that it even despite the, the heaviness of the themes, it just there's so many ways that this does not work as a hangout movie where people are drinking wine and, and joking and eating runts and kicking back. This is a movie that I feel like needs to be watched on your own in a lot of ways. It's a movie that is going to create an internal dialogue for you in terms of like trying to kind of unpack what it means about your own life and. That's not a communal experience in any way, shape, or form. Mm. So it's just it's just so funny to me to think of like watching this with a group and trying to have a fun hangout with some beers and thank God <laughs> this being the movie that's on the screen. Thank God it wasn't this. I mean, I'm not saying it's a superior film, but Aliens is definitely a superior hangout film. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. no question. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's this movie is is really special. Um, and you know, I'm pretty fresh on this. I I watched. Um, I watched it last night and 
I think it's it's one that's going to evolve and and mm. you know develop in my brain as I as I sit with it. But needless to say, it's just it's just fucking it, it's outstanding. It's mm. it's an incredible achievement of filmmaking, and you know, Seven Samurai was an incredible experience on its own in a, in a different way. But this is the one that really confirms to me that like why Akira Kurosawa is looked at as as one of these all time masters, and and why people like Spielberg and Scorsese and Lucas and the you know these filmmakers that we revere in modern times look at him and are like, no, 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 that's that's the guy. Yeah, that's the guy who kind of showed us the way, and we're trying to do kind of what he was doing, and. It does have some of those Kurosawa trademark beautiful shots. We talked about a lot sure. in Seven Samurai about the gorgeous. And this came out before Seven Samurai, right? Yes, two years yeah. before. And, and in, there's no reason to compare them, but I definitely found myself preferring this to Seven Samurai, just in terms of my personal reaction to films. But I love mm-hmm. that there's that through line of, of just the, the beautiful photography. So it's got his fingerprints and really f- amazing shot composition and just gorgeous mm-hmm. cinematography, but just in a totally different spin and take. And we love getting these artists who have their sort of trademarks, but they take their trademarks into different directions and into different types of stories. And um, this was definitely a wonderful direction. And I do want to circle back to something you mentioned in the intro. Do you view this as an optimistic or a pessimistic film at the end of the day? I think it's both. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, my intro, I, I alluded to, you know, the meaningless of existence and mm-hmm. the inevitability of death. But like, and, and I'm more making a joke there about I that. thought so. But yeah, like, yeah. But it's not, it's not an, it's not a movie that deprives you of hope. Um, if anything, it's the opposite. It kind of spurs you into action where it, it it's like, it's confronting the I, I think it's simultaneously embracing the fact that none of this means anything, but also that we have the ability to create our own meaning. Well, that's what's I think one of the things I find so so beautiful in this movie and kind of optimistic is the idea that and it's an idea that I love, is like any person could make a positive impact in the world. And mm-hmm. and sometimes it takes um, recognizing your own mortality because I think sometimes, I mean, I, I, I do think about death a fair amount, but like we, I think we can all get blinded to it in the daily grind. That's very much touched on in this movie. Like you're stamping forms for, for 30 years and you kind of forget that this is all going to end at some point. And then the next thing you know, it's 30 years later. Where did the time go? What have you done with your life? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think it's easy for us to get kind of lulled to sleep by the about the idea of the the end that we're all facing it eventually, um, and so when you get that that splash of whatever shakes you out of that sleep, and you're like, I got to do something, you know, I do like that idea that like anybody can can leave a positive impact on the world, and and I like that this movie really goes into that on a deeper level. So I find it, um, I wouldn't necessarily say uplifting. I, I think I'm with you. It's, it's both. It's a very heavy, sad movie, but it's, it's either it's laced or it's predominantly optimistic in my mind, where it's like you still have the capability. As long as you're drawing breath, you still have the capability of doing something with your life, even if it is on the 
relatively smaller scale, even though it's not that small. It turns out you have to move mountains to get a fucking little city park built. And that's another thing I love in this movie that seems to be of interest in a lot of Japanese movies we've talked about, either in the show or outside of the show. Um, the the frustrations with bureaucracy. Uh, we watched that recent Godzilla movie. I think it was, what was mm. it called? Gojira? Shin Godzilla. Shin Godzilla, that's it. Uh, and this was like before we really started the show. And that's another Japanese movie that really explores the frustrations of bureaucracy. So I don't know if this is something the culture generally feels. I mean, we all can relate to that on some degree, no matter where we're from. But based on the few Japanese movies I've seen, it does seem to be a returning theme. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... Um... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend to be an expert on Japanese history by any means, but certainly, like, this movie is coming out shortly after kind of the final nail in the coffin of the Westernization of Japan. Um, I mean, it, it, that probably came a lot earlier, but it really feels like this is kind of, you know, post World War II, post U.S. occupation of Japan. Um, it, it's kind of the the final the final stage of that transformation for that country moving to a fully westernized culture and i i i feel that push and pull in this movie of kind of the country looking back at itself and being like did we fuck up like did, did is this all just meaningless from here on out is this bureaucracy all we're left with i definitely see what you're saying and felt it too the sort of push and pull especially when we get the flashback to uh, them driving to the cemetery with after the wife mm-hmm. has passed away. And you really mm-hmm. see a pretty stark change in like the style of the vehicles. And this is obviously pre-war, or it certainly seems mm-hmm. it to me. And there's like someone in the rain with a like, very old style umbrella. A lot of the mm-hmm. umbrellas we see in the kind of more current timeline are more modern. We still occasionally see these old-fashioned style umbrellas, but like I think that I think this movie is definitely playing in this in this idea of 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 what is the new bringing to us exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's clearly an undercurrent of everything going on in this movie, but I think even though that is in some ways specific to Japan, it is a universal idea, and it is directly related to the very personal side of it. Of just like we just we look at our lives and we think back to like being a kid and how simple it was and, and, you know, just like, it's kind of, it's the same deal with Watanabe, the, the main character played by Takashi Shimura, but you know, you have all these early flashbacks in the movie where it's cutting back to him being a single father and raising his son and like how much, how happy he is and like the, the beauty that he's finding and the purpose that he's finding in raising this kid. And then, contrasting that with kind of the kid getting shipped off to war and then you know that that feeling of of being having him pulled away from him and then the the everything after that which is kind of the son i don't know if he's like lost respect or i don't i don't know what it is but the kid has has fully gone away from him and like this this thing that gave him purpose is now like just a, a source of 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 uh, a sadness for him you know it, it's the same kind of thing of like the thing that gave you meaning is suddenly giving giving you the feeling of meaninglessness yeah um it's it, all that stuff is uh so poignant and and just really really hits home i mean and i feel like this is the kind of movie where the older i get the more resonant it's going to become for yeah. me yeah there are so many things about this movie that i love and one of them is the fact that 
the situation with the son is not resolved. Like that's mm-hmm. so much more realistic and not a, an, an element of darkness in this movie that I wasn't expecting. You know, I really would. Mm-hmm. I was kind of thinking like, oh, okay, they'll probably have some sort of patch up before, but like, but no, like it, the relationship had soured. His son was now a source of sadness in his life and it wasn't resolved before his death. It was kind of refreshingly dark in a way because I don't know. I just, I just think that it was so anti Hollywood and obviously it's not a Hollywood film. So it's not surprising, but like it was so, it was so much heavier than I was expecting. Like this movie, even though I do at the end of the day, see a lot of optimism and hope in this film, it's not avoiding darkness. It's embracing difficult ideas and challenging uh, heartbreak, uh, of course, with the subject matter involved. Um, but uh, I just thought it was so it was so untidy. It was so like there were part, there were points to it that were so bleak. And and to add to it the the the, the moment where I was like, oh, this might be this is one of my favorite endings. Like I love this, love this. All the bureaucrats are in that shrine and stuff, and or whatever they would call that, wherever they're doing the the funeral, and they're all eventually start caving, and they're like, "We're gonna change, we're gonna change," and it's but they're all drunk. They're all drunk, and also like the return to the status quo so shortly after is so true, and that's one of the, that's when I was yep. like, "This movie is speaking the truth. It's not." jazzing things up that ha- like whenever we know someone who is really important to us and and passes or whatever everyone has that thing of like i am going to like life is short i am going to change and it evaporates in a, in a at an alarming what rate sometimes and this movie yeah shows but what that. i love what i love about that ending though is that it's again it's 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 the same thing i talked about at the beginning of just like this movie is simultaneously extremely bleak but also very very optimistic in the sense of or i guess optimistic is the wrong word realist i guess is is realistic optimism i guess is what it is because it's yes 90% of the people in that room revert immediately back to their their patterns and they didn't learn anything from that experience but there was one guy. The one guy, the chair There's the guy. the one guy, and and the, this experience has spurred him on a, a, a similar path of, of understanding and, and trying to, to find deeper meaning and, and real purpose in, in his life. And I think like in that way, I think it's realistic optimism where it's accepting the fact that most people are not going to get it. But somebody will, and, and and the amount of like the effort is not wasted. The like the the positive vibrations that that this thing or can can you know just the reverberations of these actions can be felt. There are good things that come of it, and it's about accepting the fact that you're not going to be able to change everyone all at once. You can't. But you can change one person, and that that's enough, and that that is a that is a a that is a worthy outcome of that effort. Yeah, dude, I think that's a, a spectacular point because when I looked towards the end of this movie, and and the guy we're talking about, that person who was the first person to support Watanabe—that's his name, right? The character's mm-hmm. name—and um, in the funeral area, and like, and is the person who stands up and the chair shoots out when he sees the uh, the new. Watanabe just rubber stamping and and just droning through life like they all said they wouldn't um, and and just not helping people in this bureaucratic position. When he goes on that walk and overlooks the playground, I was thinking about 
uh, the playground. And I was thinking about like, oh, look at like, even though he's gone, like, look at all the kids utilizing this playground. It's It used to be a septic. That's like the impact. But I wasn't thinking about the character you're talking about. And now, I, now I'm adding to that. I'm like, oh, yeah. So, yes, some people will will say they're going to change and they won't. But other there will be people who do. And there will be the ones who, who get it, like you said. So, yeah, it's like. That I, yeah, there's the physical impact of the park and the joy that this is bringing that people in that community. There's the reaction that the mothers in that community have at the funeral that clearly this was someone of deep importance to them who was in their corner and fighting for them. So we get all this great evidence of, of the impact. And I hadn't thought about that guy who walked to view the park because you're right. He probably is going to be um, really taking helping others seriously. Yeah, I, I yeah, imagine he's he's going to find a way to have a positive impact on the world, and I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah, um, and I think it's like not to get too political, but like you know, you look around and like these you know fucking fascists just trying to like create this this racist fucking oligarchy in in our society right now, and it's like you can you can sit there and look at the totality of that and be insanely depressed like and and at the 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 journey that we're going through right now it it sucks if you if you distance yourself from that if you pull back from social media and you stop trying to like just expect that everything's going to flip a switch and be better overnight you can find power in that you can find happiness and and a reason to exist you know yeah. um it's it's the it's when you it's when you just try to sit there and accept the the weight of the entire world on your shoulders. That's when you feel meaningless. And that's yeah. when you feel like there's nothing that you can do. Yeah. And that's I think that's in a lot of ways what Watanabe is going through in this movie. The early part of the movie, you know, he gets this diagnosis. He starts to look around him at like everything awful. And he's just like, fuck what this is all terrible like what the fuck and then and he leans into you know the the kind of hedonistic side of him where he's just like i'm just gonna go like get drunk and i'm gonna go to you know a strip tease and i'm gonna you know like try and be like young and playful and fun again and like that's fun for a moment but like ultimately it clearly doesn't empty. work like he remains hollow through all for almost all those experiences that's a it's a beautiful section of of the movie yeah from there, when he when he kind of realizes that that's not going to give him fulfillment, just kind of acting out in that hedonistic way, he realizes by meeting the the young uh, woman that he works with, who is uh, coming to that realization a lot earlier than he did, um, who is played by Miki Odagiri uh, or Miki Odagiri. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but the character's name is Toyo, and that girl, you know makes the choice to be like, no, I don't, I don't want this anymore. I, 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 this is not fulfilling me, but I can make these little rabbits that make me feel connected to all the babies in Japan. Like I'm making them happy by creating these little toys for them. Um, and yes, it's hard work. Yes, it's tiring. And you know, but she feels more fulfilled by doing that. So like he encounters that and he's like, oh, okay. So like, if I just like, take this giant fucking sphere that I'm living within and I shrink it down and I just, I just say, what is one little thing that I can do to make someone happier and make someone's life better? Mm -hmm. And that gives him fulfillment. Yeah. Like that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's just the, like, like 
going from the macro to the micro and, 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 and removing your, yourself from the feeling of like, I need to affect massive change. Because when you, can, when you can remove yourself from that idea, you can actually find fulfillment in the small things. If everyone did that, we'd all be a lot happier. Oh, for sure, for sure. And that and these are the these but are the, the sort movie of, also understands that that's not going to happen, and most people and are most not people, going to. But make some that will, some will, and but some will. And yeah, it's it's it just the movie just starts getting getting your mind churning. I mean, the the the, the novelist character who kind of is his, he's leading our main character through this more debauched section where he wants to cut loose and really live it up and. And, and, and go for that for a little bit of time. He even says at some point the line of like, you've got my mind thinking or like my mind turning, whatever the term was. And I, f- I feel the exact same way about this entire movie. Like it really, as mm-hmm. we're just kicking it around, you know, we've staggered into um, like discussing positive social change and mortality and would knowing you're going to die be better than not knowing you're going to die and all these different things. And uh, it's just it's just indicative of of how much this movie has going on. And the different the different waves and layers that it's 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 kind of functioning on. And once again, we will continue to pound the drum on this show. Watch old movies if if you're like how I used to be of being kind of shut downy about the idea of seeing an old stodgy movie. Get rid of that idea. There is amazing, amazing stuff from this time and before. You know, there's just great, great stuff to be found in older movies. This movie is 71 years old and it could not feel more like prescient and and modern in terms of what it's talking about. Don't shy away from a movie because it's in black and white. Like honestly like you know this is kind of like making me think just about like just the filmmaking of this movie and like the early parts of this movie where it's doing the the thing um I'm thinking specifically of the scene where it's kind of introducing you to the bureaucracy of city hall where this group of women are getting the runaround and getting bounced from from desk to desk being like no you need to talk to public works no you need to talk to sanitation no you need to talk to this person and that that whole sequence just just on a construction level and like a, a an editing directing writing level is fucking outstanding. It is so good at communicating the ideas that it's trying to do. And it's like, this is the shit that like modern filmmakers struggle with at times. It's just like communicating that, uh, that idea so effectively and, and, and uh, succinctly. And it's, it's fucking great. And it's hilarious. It's yeah. like so funny. And, and who knows if this has been the first time that's been done, but how many times have we seen this idea ripped off since? 100%. Of, in, yeah. in just Everyone's Western just doing films, Kurosawa. Like, like the whole bureaucracy runaround scene. I've got a, I must have seen that 30 times of just like, you need, and the, again, this, we're talking about the American version. You need a Form 1037 or you need this. And it's like, oh, literally like the entirety so of Parks and Rec is based on this idea. Yeah, that. And there's a, there's a, there's a mini storyline in The Wire where uh, an ex-convict gets out and decides to not go back into the game and become a boxer. And he's trying to get a, a, a gym built so he could teach kids uh-huh. in the neighborhood boxing. Another example of like positive uh, social change that a, a smaller person can do. Um, but yeah, it's, and, and all, now that I'm saying it, like there's so much of this story is in this little mini story in The Wire. It's like someone who wants to improve his community with a place that children mm-hmm. can play and, and grow. Um, mm-hmm. And um, 
but yeah, they, he, they have that scene of him running around trying to talk to different city officials and getting turned down at every corner. And yeah, it's just, it's this, yeah, this, this movie has impacted a lot of people clearly. But the filmmaking in this movie is just incredible. And the fact that it's 70 years old, you would never, I mean, other than like seeing that they're using more primitive cameras and, and stuff like just from the, you know, or, or I guess primitive film stock, um, it, you know, it is, it is, it looks of its time in terms of just like, if you're just like clicking around and you come across TCM and this is playing, like you, you would be like, oh yeah, old movie. But like, it could not feel more modern in its techniques and what it's doing. And like that, the movie is 70 years old. So don't shy away from watching old movies is what we're saying. And some of the shot composition. Oh my God. I, I was taking pictures with my phone of like three shots that I just, just loved. how Akira Kurosawa intended. Of course, of course, a, a, a phone, a, a device you used to call people <laughs> using that to take a picture on your TV. But really I wasn't doing it to look at, I just wanted to remember them in this conversation. Right. And cause there's just, there's some shots where I'm just like, my God, that is such a great shot. And I, I was going to ask you this, Drew, do you want to go into like, performances first or like favorite shots favorite scenes sort of thing well we're talking about shots let's do it yeah the, the, the okay the first shot i took a photo of is shortly after he gets his diagnosis of the stomach cancer and he's back home he's had that interaction with his son and his daughter-in-law who like find him there in the dark and he is his son calls to him after his son goes up to bed and he, he yells down and he starts going up the stairs on like all fours and the son's like, oh, can you lock the door? Like, so he's not asking for him. He's just asking him to do something. And he is there like with his head down in the center of the frame in shadow because he's on the stairwell and just like defeated. And there's like the behind him is lit and it's just like, it's like, oh my God, that is just such a perfect shot and it was just like that, mm -hmm. that so that's that's one i've got the other one is um when he meets the novelist and uh they the dog comes in and the main character throws the meat down for the dog to start eating there's a shot of like the novelist is taking up like if you're facing the tv like the right side of the frame angled sideways our main character is just back a little bit it's just perfectly framed and it's so uh, exciting and it's a great reminder of like you don't need the camera to be doing a bunch of bananas crazy intoxicating shit to arrest your attention and to stun you like it, this movie is is very simple but it's so effective visually and you and i obviously we love those those fancy dancy big shots and wonders i mean we were recently fairly recently raving about that one in Tatan. But there's something to be said about like when you can get someone to go, wow, that's amazing. And it's just like two characters in a frame on a camera that's not moving. And it's just this he has such a magical skill level there, I think. Yeah, I think the lighting work, especially in the early part of this movie, is really outstanding. And it, it you know, it's, it's definitely evoking the dark feelings that the character is going through. It's a lot of mm -hmm. shadow play. It's a lot of, you know, high. high high contrast images um where the you know the the dark and the light parts of the the frame are are very intentional mm. yeah i think i think 
in terms of black and white photography, this is definitely some of the best I've ever seen. Um, my favorite stuff is, is the very end, just mm. the, him sitting on the swing in the snow and yeah. the playground that he built and the camera kind of like panning across from behind those bars. And then like just the, the solo shot of him in the, in the swing is just like, that's, that's all time. Great. Yeah. You know, shot. Yeah. Could level. be, could be shot of the year for you. Shot of the 50 possibly. Yeah. It's just so evocative and it's like, it's, it's, um, I don't know. There's just some sort of like ethereal beauty to it that I, I can't totally put my finger on why it, it works so well, but it just, it really, really like, there's no other scene in the movie. I don't think that takes place in snow. Mm-hmm. No, um, and I thought I could. And, think I, of. and I also think it's interesting how the movie starts with that whole playground area. Um, or at least the first times you, you, you see that, that area, it's always either just uh, chaotic, claustrophobic, you know, uh, hustly bustle, you know, of the city, um, or it's like downpour and like just giant puddles and gross and murky and and awful. And then you get to that scene at the end and it's just this, this tranquil, beautiful, you know, snowy landscape and just this, this man kind of finally feeling some amount of fulfillment in his life. And it's just so satisfying from a, just a thematic and a storytelling level. Yes, dude. I love what you said about the black and white photography too, because I didn't think about it until you mentioned it. I think this movie would be worse in color. I'm assuming with 1956, mm-hmm. it was a technical limitation. The reason they went black and white. Um, but regardless of, well, of 52, uh, but yeah. Oh, 52. And there, okay. there, there, yeah. And there was color film stock at the time, but the, yeah, yeah. The, I, I don't think any Japanese films were being made in that yeah. in, in color at that point. But the, the subject matter of what we're dealing with here is so well tailored for black and white film. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess in terms of like color play as well, I, I do really love the way that he goes from kind of a, I'll, I'll, I'll give you uh, your word, starchy, mm-hmm. uh, kind of darker hat that gets taken away from him and he, he embraces the light by, by getting this fancy fun, uh, white hat, you know, it's kind of, kind of the old school concept in, um, uh, Westerns where it's like black hat, white hat, uh, kind of signifies good and bad guy a little bit. Um, he's kind of like coming to the light. He's kind of realizing that he can be a positive force in the world. There are just so many great scenes in this movie. And that's, I mean, it's too speaking beyond visually as well. One that really shook me up, and I I will be shocked if we don't share this opinion, is the first time he sings Life is Brief in that Mm. bar. And I believe at that point, only the novelist that he's hanging out with through this kind of quote-unquote debauched section, is he's the only person who I think knows in the entire film what our main character is going to, protagonist as he's referred to in the, the, the narration. But that scene just fucking killed me and in in the best way possible and talk about a great performance drew you alluded to it earlier of him being a big dog contender for you i I totally get it there's a scene where he's singing straight into the camera lens no cutting and just crying and it's one of the most emotional and moving performances i've ever seen and just thinking about the difficulty to pull that off staring straight into the lens is insane to me. And it was just a stunning shot, stunning sequence. The way everyone else is getting kind of awkward, the way that woman like slowly leaves his lap and like only the novelist knows what he's going through. And of course the Mm -hmm. audience, meaning us, the viewer, 
And it was just a beautiful, beautiful scene. And it was among my favorites in the movie. So when he was getting ready for that scene, apparently Akira Kurosawa's direction to him in terms of how to deliver that was, quote, sing the song as if you're a stranger in a world where nobody believes you exist. Wow. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I don't even know totally what that means, but it's evocative. Some people just have a way with actors and just they have a way to communicate complicated ideas. It, that's that's when you know you're with a, a really talented filmmaker when they're they're able to deliver that kind of direction. Yeah. Let's get into the performances now that you you brought up that perform or unless you had more shots. Sorry. I, I, no, no, I, I got a couple I got a couple more scenes to rattle through if that's cool. Yeah, let's do it. Um, <clears throat> just see. Oh, maybe my favorite choice in the movie is, and they 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 spoil it a tiny bit for me seconds later, but I'll get into the specifics. When he's having that fallout with the girl he's been kind of pursuing, and he can't really pinpoint why he's pursuing her. He's just so drawn to her vivaciousness. Did you? Did you interpret that as romantic? I did not at all. No, I didn't. But she, but she's starting to view it as like, what does this guy want? She's, she's worried that that's she's what worried his, that his intentions are. Yeah. And I think he is like, he's just drawn to her exuberance and her, her vivaciousness, I guess. Um, and he can't really express that to her without explaining what he's going through. And, you know, that whole scene is very awkward and clunky and intentionally so. Um, I think there's a sprinkle of overacting in there, but we can get into that later. But it's it's a good scene, great scene. And then he has the realization that he does have the ability to change. And he, it's after she does the rabbit thing that you mentioned. And he runs down the stairs, and there's that moment in film that I love where there's this amazing reason for something to be happening, and it fits the theme perfectly. And it's the happy birthday being sung as he's walking down the stairs when it's the surprise for that uh, young woman who happens to be entering at the same time. So people are singing to him as he's coming down the stairs. And it's the perfect timing because it's like he's being born for the first time in like 30 years. And he's taking his agency back and he that's when he's going to begin truly living for this last stretch of his life. And that whole happy birthday thing happening was so fucking great. And I was like, oh, my God. But then I was a little annoyed that in the next scene when he's starting to, like, rally the bureaucrats together, they play happy birthday in the background. It's like, oh, you made it a little too thick now. I wish you didn't have it there. But um, but I love that choice of, of the chorus of people singing happy birthday as he leaves. It's just like that was fucking amazing. Yeah, it was really great. I love that choice. And and the framing and the shot itself is really awesome as well. Um yeah, it's that that whole sequence is is really the the major turning point of the movie and I love that choice of the happy birthday song. It's really smart. Totally, totally. But that's it for me scene wise, dude. I, I I'm excited to get into performances too. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't have any other specific scenes really to call out. I think we've we've kind of touched on most of the ones I would want to reference just through the course of the conversation, but um, let's get into the performances. I mean, we've we've brought him up a few times already. Takashi Shimura, he was the star of Seven Samurai as well, another dartboard movie night alum. How'd you feel about the performance overall? I mean, you referenced that the the singing scene really hit you Oof. deeply. Did you feel that way about the whole performance? 
There were a few moments where I felt like I was kind of dislocated from him a little bit uh, in terms of the performance. But overall, I thought it was spectacular. Don't get me wrong. Like, I thought it was really, really great. I much prefer this performance to the Seven Samurai performance. And I didn't even recognize him. I didn't know that that was him until you brought it up in earlier in the show. Because he looks so, so different, obviously. He's modern clothing, modern haircut, modern, obviously, in air quotes for the time. But, um, but yeah, he floored me. And any quibbles I might have with this scene or that scene are totally overwhelmed by the, 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 the amount of it that's amazing and sensational. And I'm, we, like you said, we mentioned the direct-to-camera crying thing. It's, it's so good. The only time I was having issues is sometimes, and I think this is more Kurosawa, he, they would go into that look-in-his-eyes stuff a little too much, or he would just be staring and like kind of like you know, losing it. And for me, I kind of started getting removed from the performance a little bit in some of those moments, if that makes sense. But overall, I thought it was a spectacular performance. I don't know if I tracked with that, but... Yeah, you, did you feel that way when he was like... If he was just like staring at someone for like seven it seconds? very nitpicky. It might be, it might be. Um, I mean, you you mentioned Big Dog. I mean, I'm assuming you soup to nuts to love. Do you have a single nitpick? Any false notes? Or did you think it was perfection? I I mean... Who am I to judge? I'm not an actor. I don't. I don't know the process. I don't know. You know, kind of uh, how that all works. I, all I can say is it affected me deeply, and I think it's an incredible performance. Mickey Odegiri, though, who we've brought up a couple of times, is is in my opinion the the performance that really just blew me away. I think her like youthful exuberance as Toyo being the thing that kind of shakes him from his, his, you know, stupor, basically, that's a performance that the entire, the entire narrative kind of hinges on, on her, uh, being able to sell the fact that she's selling him on, on life can be better. And, and we can, we can make, we can find purpose in all of this. That that would be an easy thing to to overlook is just how important it is for that performance to land completely. But I just I, I loved watching her. I think like her, like I said, the youthful exuberance, just like the general um, uh, joy that she brings to this movie is just so integral to it working, and and she fucking crushes it. Amazing, amazing performance. I I completely agree. And then I see you listed uh, the, the novelist character in here, Yunosuke Ito. Did you want to talk about him? Yeah, I didn't really have um, specifics. This is probably more of a shout out. I just really liked him. I liked the character. I liked the way he was introduced to the story. A lot of this is from the craft behind the film sort of perspective. But like, I thought he really brought a breath of fresh air in that opening in terms of, I mean, it's such a heavy movie for a while and it needs to be and it's supposed to be and he here comes in this sort of kind of charming breezy novelist guy who is the first person who gets this news and and really seems to care about the protagonist a lot and even though his his prescription is not really what ends up being fulfilling or important i think it's a really welcomed uh, diversion and explores what of our lot of our kind of grieving self-grief processes would be like in this situation is where we would go through probably this phase if we had this knowledge about ourselves of like going running wild and like kind of just trying to do every kind of debauched thing we could do um 
And I thought he was really a good vessel and a well-intentioned vessel at exploring that idea. He was not like some kind of super douchey guy. He's, he's an interesting character. I like him. Yeah, you're not supposed to look at that character and be like, look at this asshole leading him down the wrong yes, path. Yes, exactly. It's it's very important that like his approach to it feels viable at the time. And and I think like he seems like a very genuine guy who is is doing, you know, his best to try and like give this guy a, a good time. Um and I really appreciated that the movie wasn't trying to just paint the the debauchery as a midlife crisis type reaction to the situation. Like even if, even if it in some ways is the guy has good intentions and, and you, you, you buy that he's a, he's a good human who is, is doing what he thinks is best in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. He is far from the devil on the shoulder. He is a well-intentioned human who really takes to heart that a fellow human being is in need. And he, 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 he does has genuine his best concern. To help yeah. I was honestly yeah. surprised that he wasn't at the funeral, the character. I almost would have liked that. Uh, yeah, I, w- I would have too. But I mean, I guess they didn't like connect. Yeah, and how would he so know deeply that they would have? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. How, he probably doesn't even know that he died. And yeah, um, but I, I, I specifically am thinking of like the scene where Watanabe needs to get out of the the taxi with the the two women with them um, when he needs to get out and vomit, and the novelist gets out to kind of check on him. I, I think that's really touching that he he has that instinct to be like no 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 ladies wait let me let, I need to go check on my friend real quick. He also has the wherewithal to recognize that this approach really isn't working. Um, like there's right before oh the yeah he's recognizing thing. that yeah, yeah like the girls are kind of they're working on their makeup and they're singing and it's it's a, like a little it's shot and recorded in an intentionally obnoxious way and he the kind of the the curator of this experience is like rubbing his temples and clearly he's like this is not working like i'm trying to help this guy out and show him a good time and this is like it's gone off the rails and this is this sucks now and i wonder if that's just how directors feel when things are not working They're just like rubbing their temples be like i thought we had good <laughs> ideas but this is just not working god yeah um the only other one I really want to highlight here is uh, the character's name is Kimura. I don't remember if he's even referenced by name, but this is the character who is the one who recognizes at the end that like no one is changing and and they should be. Mm, um, yeah. Who I referenced, you know, who kind of looks out over the playground at the very end of the movie. He's played by Shinichi Himori, uh, and I, I just I really think he he has a tough job, which is to sell that his character is going through the same kind of transformation that Watsonabe goes through earlier in the movie. Um, and, and you know, the movie needs to close on that and have that really land. And I think it does. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah. he can say a lot with his face. We say that a lot about performances we love and he is uh, no exception to that idea. Uh, last character I want to give just a super quick shout out to is, the guy who plays the deputy mayor, who I think is Nobu Nakamura. Nakamura. I think that sounds pretty good. Um, but he uh, he was great. I don't have much to say about it specifically, but I just thought he really worked as the sort of smarmy. Perfectly smarmy. Yeah, perfectly smarmy, not overly, overly villainous, like a person I can believe exists, but someone on the douchey smarmy care, cares more about politics than anybody anything else scale. Um, and I thought it was just a, a good performance. It was believable. He was obviously the heel in a lot of these situations, but not a terrible human being by any stretch. 
Well, do you think he was a terrible human? I mean, he's trying to like take credit for a, a, a dead man's accomplishments. That's true. That's true. Oh that's, yeah. I think that's pretty pretty despicable. That's true. That's true. Um, but point being, the type of character you would not find in a James Cameron film. Wow! Just shot across the bow at James Cameron for out of nowhere. <laughs> I just saw Aliens. Oh God! I, I dread your opinions on yeah. on aliens. Given that little teaser, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but that's uh, it yeah. for me, performance wise. All right, fair enough. Well, yeah, no, I think what's what's interesting about this is like this really is the Takashi Shimura show. Like it is his his movie, and all these other characters are like little side quests, kind of within the you know the greater narrative. And um, it's important, you know, to have actors who can really just nail it when they have their their little moment to shine and i think everyone really does in this movie yeah yeah no at no point did i feel like a performance even if it was small was like oof, that didn't that didn't really work even though i maybe had quibbles with the primary performance very much here and there um like you know very think- very rarely but like nobody stepped into the frame and i was like what was that you know what i mean everybody worked this is not a complaint. This is not a criticism necessarily, but I do kind of, the only thing that I really crave maybe more from this movie would be uh, developing the the son character a little bit more. I don't totally yeah. understand his transformation and his pulling away from his father all that much. I, I kind of, I, my I was longing for a little bit more information there, and and that's not a problem with the performance. The actor's name is Nobuo uh, Kaneko, who plays Mitsuo, and um, yeah, like I, I think that's more of a writing thing where I, I I wish the the story did a little bit better job of fleshing out why those two characters had grown distant. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think across the board, all the performances really are, are stellar. Mm-hmm. Yep, agreed. Let's uh, let's head into wrap up here. I think we're we've we've gotten our thoughts about the movie out. Let's kind of do some some little uh, little cleanup of of our notes here. For sure. What do you got for us? It's becoming a running theme with these old movies, but man, oh man, Facha City again! Just another sea of great faces. Every face in this movie is interesting. It's cool. It's different. Not everyone is a fucking model. Like there's homely people. There's like whatever. But everybody looks interesting, and I love that it seems like these older movies in some ways did not shy away from having people who are not hyper, hyper attractive. You know what I mean? I mean, I guess you could mm-hmm. say obviously a lot of like women in old films are like kind of classic Hollywood dames or like that type of thing. But even the, the, the main female character in this film is like she's obviously attractive, and she's good looking, and she's pretty. But she's not like, oh, my God, supermodel. Like, you know what I mean? She just looks like a real person. And this movie is filled with people who look to me very real. And I, I love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, everyone's got like a distinguishing feature to their face that, yeah. that you know, identifies them. <laughs> Which, you know, I, I think is like... It's one of the downsides of black and white is if you're not using people like that, people can start to all blend together a little bit mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, you don't have like complexion and, and you know, these, these kind of like, you know, hair color and eye color, like, like you don't have identifiers as much as you do in a color film. For sure. That's a good point. So, <laughs> so yeah, like populating it with these very unique faces with, with, you know, unique yeah. qualities to them is, is so crucial. And yeah, he does knock it out of the park. 
This is small, but I liked it. The decision of a lot of the flashbacks being triggered by an object or a picture, like a physical thing. I kind of like that. Like, you know, he sees the baseball bat that he uses to lock the door. Uh, and mm-hmm. then it, it takes us to the flashback of his son playing baseball when he's in the crowd. And he, he's looking at uh, uh, a picture of his of his of his widow. I know widower. I, what do you call that? When his, his widow is his, 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 his if, dead wife. But isn't a widow like she's still alive? Like what? A widow. No, is, no. The person the person who is still alive is the widower. I thought they were the widow. No, the widow. Th- uh, and anyway, whatever the I think they're the same thing actually, yeah. now that I'm thinking about it. A widower and a widower. I thought a widower was like I think it's like just a, wife. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I thought a widower was like a man whose wife had died, but anyway, whatever the his ex-wife will call. But like um the photo of the widow like like that triggers the memory to that heartbreaking scene of the son asking like where's mom going in the cars that takes us back in time to that. And I mean it's it's something that's kind of again simple and we see a lot of movies do it now but it's just a good idea to have an object or thing trigger a memory and then the movie goes there because that's the way memory works and it just it felt very organic and flowy and i love that sort of decision you know along those same lines i think one thing that i really appreciate about kurosawa specifically in this movie is his willingness to use any sort of cinematic language available to him to tell the story so like the beginning of this movie and and a little bit at the very end, you know, there's narration, but the narration drops out for huge swaths of the movie. And the flashbacks are pretty much all in the uh the first part of the movie and then like then you get to the the end of the movie where it's doing this like half and half between the past and the present. I just I I like that He's he's not he knows he trusts his audience to understand everything he's doing and he doesn't need to conform to the idea that if you're going to use something like that it needs to be throughout the movie. Like he he just he's just like you know what in this moment we need a flashback so we're going to do that. It, he doesn't have he doesn't like put himself through fucking hoops and jumps to to try and tell something in an unnatural way because he's afraid that that if he's not keeping it consistent, it's going to be seen as a flaw. I think an uneducated person with film would look at this as like, he's throwing everything at the wall here. This is just a, a mishmash of, of, you know, ideas and it's just, it's going wherever it wants. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And it works. It's great. Um, I love that. Like there's two halves to this movie and they're, they're almost like completely different halves in terms of what it's doing. Like if they feel like almost different movies, um, but it doesn't matter. It all it all gels together in some weird alchemy. Totally. And I, for one, really loved the narration. I'm not sure how you felt. I, I thought it was great. It didn't bother me. Used sparingly. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. And when they show that picture of the stomach cancer, it reminded me so much of a shot in Magnolia where they show Jason Robard's camera, uh, cancer on like a chart and like a quick mm. thing. And it's like, God damn, that's more influences. Um, I have to ask you, did you do a time check when we get to the funeral? Did you do a pause to see how much of the movie was left? Or did you? I think I had checked it pretty like shortly okay. before that, so I already knew. But yeah, sort of. Because I felt like, oh damn, I really wanted to see him get this park done. Because I didn't predict that it was going in, into this different direction in this at as it closes of like playing with timelines and stuff. And I thought that yeah, was it almost really becomes cool. like a courtroom drama. Yeah, the end. and it like and then it like goes. 
because all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I really wanted to see that. And I did a little pause and I was like, okay, I think we're getting little flashbacks here. And it was cool as we started to kind of peel back the layers and go back and see well, the different types of things he encountered, you know? It literally like removes you from the character's perspective for yeah. the back half. Like, like you're in the character's perspective until that point and then you have the funeral and then all of a sudden it's all retrospective. It's all like looking from the outside looking in. It's very unconventional in terms of structure and, and, and the choices that he's making there, but it totally oh works. My God, it works. And like everyone chimes in with their own story and obviously they're in the flashback. So arguments could be made that those memories are are exaggerated to some degree or whatever but like it's just it's just cool um and and mm -hmm. and ahead of its time i did think a lot of that stuff as it was kind of recycling back to kind of that centerpiece in front of the whatever you call it a shrine or whatever um i did find a lot of that stuff i kind of i felt flabby and i felt like it could have been tightened a little yeah. but that's just no. in the little nitpick category for me i was like all right let's all right, we get it one by one. They're succumbing to trying to be better people. Let's uh, let's get it going. I love that you're you're calling the movie that Akira Kurosawa, who is considered by a lot to be the greatest filmmaker of all time, the one that he considers his best film. You're critiquing for being flabby. Yeah, hilarious to me. And uh, one of those <laughs> tiny little uh, special features I saw today. Jared knows better. Jared knows better. <laughs> he did say himself that he has never figured out how to make the perfect movie. So uh, well, he also said yeah. that. So uh, he might agree that's, with me for all I know. He's a modest guy. That's about it for me for kind of like kind of lasty notes, Drew. Is there anything you want to hit uh, uh, before we get out of here? I I just wanted to mention when I was watching this, I was unaware of any attempt at a Western remake of, of this movie. And while I was watching it, I was like kind of shocked that no one had tried to remake this. This feels like exactly the type of movie that would be remade as Oscar bait and just done poorly. Come to find out that, you know, Spielberg back in early 2000s bought the rights for DreamWorks to, to make a remake of this. It was originally going to be starring Tom Hanks and directed by Jim Sheridan. And it never, it never came to fruition, but it made him that, makes so much sense in terms of a casting and a produ produ producing partnership there for, for this kind of story. I mean, like I could see Tom Hanks doing really well with this, but you know, it feels completely unnecessary as, as far as a remake goes. Now, that being said, it was eventually remade in the UK under the title living uh, last year, even Starring Bill Nye, he got an Oscar nomination for the movie. I have not watched it. Um, I should also mention that Ikiru means to live in English. That's the English translation of that word. Uh, so living makes sense as a title. But um, I'd like to give it a watch just to see. I think Bill Nye is a phenomenal actor. I'd love to see what he does with similar material. But it, it does feel just so unnecessary. Yes, dude. I, 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 I didn't know about this movie, the living version you're talking about, until right before we, we hit record today. And I had almost the same roller coaster reaction that you did where I was like, oh, shit, maybe that would be a fun one to put on the board. Like, that'd be kind of cool. I like that actor, blah, blah, blah. And then I thought about it some more, and it's like, but why, though? This movie is so perfect. Like, why do we need to see a Western version of this idea that, like, goes far beyond culture? Like, this is a universal question and problems in this movie. So I'm, I have a complicated reaction to, to figuring that out myself. Like, 
I mean, and the interesting thing too is that it's written by a really, really talented writer. It's written yeah. uh, the the rewrite was done by Kazuo Ishiguro, who uh, is the writer who did the Remains of the Day, um, Never Let Me Go. He's he's kind of like a, he's a novelist, but he's also done some screenwriting as well. And um, yeah, he he's just he's one of the the modern masters uh, in that sense. And so I would be interested to see what his adaptation is, especially also given the fact that he's Japanese and you know kind of porting that to America. It's interesting that it was done by someone with Japanese heritage. Um, yeah, it's I I would be curious to see what he did with that material. Yeah, yeah, I, I would throw it on just to see. It would be cool, but. I don't think that's a. I don't think that's a board member. No. I don't think we need to to do that for the board. But no. I would like to check it out. So we'll see. Maybe that'll be a chin wag sometime in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm glad that this movie, in a lot of ways, stands on its own. And like we said at the beginning, this thing is fucking timeless. It it it, it is just as ripe and 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 potent in terms of what it's talking about today as it was 71 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Graham for a fantastic choice. Really special movie. Uh, again, check it out if you haven't seen it. Don't watch it with a group of friends, but check it out. Really great movie. And like I said, front runner for best picture for me at this point. Yeah, I got to I gotta give it some thought, but uh, I, I love the hell out of it as well. I mean, I, I could see this becoming one of my favorite films of all time. Like, this is going to be one that I revisit quite often, I would imagine. Dude, I love it. I love it. Thanks again, Graham. Thank you, Graham. Good choice. If memory serves, it's your week, Drew to nominate a replacement for number two, Akiru, on the board. Well, my memory has failed me miserably uh, in that I did not know that until you just said that. <laughs> Put a genre but, no one. <laughs> but that being said, I do have one locked and loaded. There's Beautiful. one that I, I've, I've thought about recently. I was talking to Steven at work, and um, he brought up a filmmaker that... Uh, I've, I've heard referenced a bunch of times and specifically recently I heard Christopher Nolan reference as a major influence of his right now, you know, for those listening in the future, this is around the time that Oppenheimer just came out. So there's a lot of stuff about, uh, Nolan in, in the news and yeah, he referenced this filmmaker in an interview and it, it made me realize I haven't seen anything that this guy has done. So Going in at number two is going to be a movie called Don't Look Now by a filmmaker named Nicholas Rogue. Have you ever heard of Nicholas Rogue? No. No, I don't think so. So Nicholas Rogue, uh, probably most famously in terms of just like, um, in terms of like modern populist kind of uh, awareness, uh, the most famous thing I think that he's done is uh, The Witches. In, in the 80s, which uh, was a movie with Angelica Houston. Uh, it's famous for being a kid's movie that has maybe the most traumatic like transformation scene ever put to film. <laughs> it's like that in American Werewolf in London that have just these like horrific, you know, monster transformations that happen. Um, but uh, this movie, Don't Look Now, is by all accounts considered like his masterpiece. Uh, it stars Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie. And it came out in 1973. It looks like kind of like a horror-y thriller thing. I don't know much about it, but I'm very excited to check it out. So Don't Look Now goes in at number two. That's going to be a slam dunk, dude. I love that for the board. 
All right, well, let's do a quick review then before we throw the dart and see what we're watching for next week. At number one, The Brothers Bloom. At number two, Don't Look Now. Number three, Zed. Number four, Rio Bravo. Number five, Alien 3. Number six, Anomalisa. Number seven, Amadeus. Number eight, Election. Number nine, Get Carter. Number 10, The Limey. Number 11, Coraline. Number 12, Big Night. Number 13, Dirty Dancing. Number 14, Straight Time. Number 15, The Friends of Eddie Coyle. Number 16, Secrets and Lies. Number 17, Seven Days in May. Number 18, Snatch. Number 19, Strange Days. And number 20, Altered states wow that anything you're excited to get to i i i mean i'll join you with the altered states i'd love to hit that almost any of them would be happy about but the board seems so different now that we fairly recently have a different one and two it makes everything sound different beyond that this is kind of crazy it's like a new world the brothers bloom still feels like a stumbling block to me like because i my brain is so engineered to say you can count on me i i it breaks me every time it's like it's so hard to power through past that but any others you're you're kind of psyched about too if for for hitting tonight potentially for some reason rio bravo sounded really nice to me in this moment i don't know why but that that sounds great um i mentioned altered states and uh yeah either of those i would be super stoked about so let's see what we get righty lefty righty all right sweet i'll be back Well, Drew, the dart has spoken. What do we got? Seven. Number seven is Amadeus. Amadeus. That has, has been a long... We, we're so knocking long. off a lot of long-standing members on the board right now. <laughs> yeah, dude. This is one of mine, right? I can't even remember. It was. On the board. Okay, cool, cool. Um, the winner for 1984's Best Picture, Amadeus... At time of recording, currently available on Amazon Prime. Everywhere else is pay to rent. But, I mean, a Best Picture winner, you'll be able to find it for sure. And uh, I'm curious to see what we get, man. I'm excited. I am too. Uh, it's a movie that I've been aware of for a long time. And I, I love this filmmaker, Milos Forman, who also did One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Man on the Moon, two movies that I really, really love. So, yeah, I'm excited to, to watch this one. This has been on my list for as long as I can remember in terms of uh, something that I've wanted to check out. Hell yeah, dude. Next week will be Amadeus. That'll do it this week for Ikiru. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Please remember to rate, review, and give us a follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. If you want to keep in touch or give us a recommendation, drop us a line at dartboardmovienight at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at dartboardmovienight. Artwork for the show was created by Veronica Roman, and all of our music is by Eric Williams. Play us out, Eric. James Cameron writes bad characters. Laid up. Wow. I believe at that point, only the novelist 
that he's hanging out with through this kind of quote-unquote debauched section. Give me Larry David in the debauched, the debauched. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Why do you love that word? It's a, it's a funny word. What's that guy's name? What's the penthouse guy? <laughs> it's a Von Guccione word. You know, a lot of people think it's just debauchery. <laughs> a real spit take is not often. You don't no. get that often.